Thank you, Lord, that we could uh, bring Belfast to you this morning. That from Somerset West, from the Halleberg into Belfast, Lord, you hear our prayers. And thank you, Father, that you continue to sustain the team that's ministering on the ground there, Father. I pray, Spirit of God, continue to remind us to pray for them, not just this morning, but continually, Father. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praying for the nations is something that we will continue to do on our Sunday mornings. Uh, next week, we have the joy to pray for uh, New Zealand, as our speaker next week will actually be from over there. We have uh, our pastor of our Christchurch um, next week with us to help us uh, in this journey on the war of wisdom. So uh, next week, we'll be praying for New Zealand. And then uh, as the year goes on, it'll be interesting to see what nations we're going to be praying for. I wanted to make a very important announcement quickly before I uh, tackle our topic this morning. Is on the 31st of July, the last Sunday of this month, we have two important moments. First of all, there's a baby dedication opportunity. If you want to dedicate a child, a baby, and um, you've been wondering when the next opportunity is, this is the opportunity for that. Henre, quickly stand up. You can speak to Henre, uh, who's quickly standing up so that you can see what he looks like after the service, and he'll help you uh, make those arrangements. And then also on the 31st of July, after church, we have what we call our 3D Sunday 3D Sunday is an opportunity for guests, for visitors, people that's been coming along with us, want to find out how to take the next steps in being part of this church. That is what 3D Sunday is about. It's 45 minutes after the service. We serve some good coffee and donuts. We have great conversation. And then we take you through a journey uh, over a couple of weeks where we discover who every nation is, discover what our discipleship journey looks like, and then discover your design. What has God called you to within church. So I wanted to just mention that the 31st of July, if you are interested, please speak to us and we will send out communications for these things as well. Awesome. The war on wisdom. That is what we are busy talking about. We're going through some parts of the book of Proverbs and we are looking at some things within the book of Proverbs that speaks about God's wisdom and being sure that we are aligned to that because the world in its foolishness is shouting loud and clear and making us think that that which God said is up for consideration and it really is not. But making sure that that which God said is what is in our hearts the main thing. That's why we call it a war because we realize we are in a war. And today we're going to speak about something that really affects every single one of us. You don't have to live long in this world to realize that there is a war on wisdom when it comes to sexuality. So we're going to look today at God-defined sexuality. And I want to start by saying this, that on the first and on the last page of your Bible, you'll see that the Bible speaks about sex. Um, now, don't go look. <laughs> we're actually going to get there. Um, but I see you guys don't carry around Bibles these days anymore. So no one was turning their pages. But it's actually on the first and the last page page in your Bible, unless you are one of those people who have the super large print, uh, because your eyes can't see, and then it might be page two or three. But it's fairly early on in the beginning, and right at the end, and we're going to see that, and we're going to find the in-between spaces too. And I am convinced that if the Word of God is so clear about this topic, we as the church should make sure that we are clear. We've got to make sure what we believe and what God has said and how we are defined by His Word, not by anything else. I also believe that this is a war that faces every single human heart, every single human soul. Because we live in this world where this thing loves to invade our lives. It loves to just come and throw us off course. So I believe today as I preach and as we open up the word that God is setting some of us on a track of restoration. He is setting some of us on a fresh start. And as we sing at the beginning and we will sing again at the end, Jesus paid it all. Sinners tried to leave a crimson stain on me, but he has washed me white as snow. That is the essence of what I believe God wants to say to us, his children, this morning. Now just a couple of T's and C's apply. I won't do it as fast as they do it on radio when they try and advertise a new credit card with the bank that you're not banking with. But three T's and C's apply this morning. First of all is you might have more questions. You might have a greater struggle. You might leave here today and saying, okay, but, and that's fine. Let me remind you what the pulpit is for. The pulpit is here to proclaim truth and take us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. 
But some of us in our journey to discover truth and really embrace the gospel needs more conversation, and that's absolutely fine. I hope you don't sit here hoping that all your struggles and questions will be answered. All I'm here today is to elevate the truth. And if you need more, that's why discipleship and relationship and church families, they because church is far more than just a Sunday gathering. It's being in each other's lives throughout all of the week. Secondly, I want to say this, that I do realize that there might be some in this room who has really experienced incredible brokenness when it comes to sexuality. And to you, I want to say this morning that God is a God of restoration, that He's a God of cleansing, that He's a God of second chances. And as we go through the Word this morning, and your heart might be in a difficult space, just say, keep on saying and keep on praying, Jesus, help me this morning, because I believe He will and He wants to. And that's what community is there for, to be around one another and help each other on our journeys of brokenness. And the third thing that I want to say, and I want to be so clear on this one, this morning I'm not going to say what God is against. We're going to discover what God is for. And I believe that is our call as Christians, to raise the truth and what God is for far higher than exclaiming what He is against. Because that's the narrative of the world. The moment we say this is what God is for, all of a sudden it is tweaked to say, okay, so therefore God is against. No, we're just saying you what God is for, and that's my heartbeat this morning in opening the word with you. Let's discover what God is for, because He is for so much. He is the giver of life, of abundant life, and He lavishes good things upon us, His children. And we get to celebrate this morning that there's a God-defined sexuality in Scripture that we can align our lives to. Are you good with those T's and C's? Let's pray and then let's get into the word this morning. Jesus, thank you that your word is clear, that we don't have to doubt it, that we don't have to worry whether it is clear or not. Lord, and I know that there's so many thoughts out there that says it's not, and what about this and what about that, but thank you that the word you have given us is clear this morning, and I pray that we see it. I pray, Spirit of God, will you open up our eyes to see just how clear your message is. And that we would find it simple to align to that today. Jesus, you said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. So come and be burdened with me. Lord, and where some in this room have been burdened by the world and the world's standards and the world's opinions, Lord, I pray that today that burden would lift. In fact, Lord, it would break as your word is spoken. And that people would align to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are a church that's all about following Jesus. So I want to start with a story about Jesus. He's been on quite a journey, and he's in the Middle Eastern sun, and it's hot, a little bit like the Bergwind we're all uh, experiencing this morning, but 10 times worse. And the Bible says that he was wearied down by a very long journey. And as he has come to be God, incarnate into man, he experienced all the things that man experienced. So on this journey that he was on, he found himself thirsty. And then he goes and he finds Jacob's well outside of the town of Sychar on his way to Galilee as they pass through the Sumerian region. And he sits down by the well because he is thirsty. He wants something to drink. But you know what I love about Jesus is even in his own need, he's still ready to pour out and give something of himself. Because as he sits at this well, he observes that there's a woman that's there to draw some water. And I don't think this, this well was just this isolated thing on the side with just Jesus and his woman. It was probably a really busy place because there were camels coming through and people coming through. And here Jesus is in the busyness of Jacob's well and the people drinking, but he notices a woman that's there to drink water, but inside of her soul is a thirst that cannot be quenched. And he reaches out to this woman and he asks her, will you draw water for me? Because I'm thirsty. Knowing that that was just the entry into her heart to offer her something far greater than the water from Jacob's well. They have a little bit of a conversation. And the woman immediately wants to polarize the world. You people say things are like this and my people say things are like that. Isn't that familiar in our world today? Let's choose a side, let's choose a tribe, and let's make sure that our tribe is the one that is the right one. And Jesus, in a very non-anxious 
way just keeps leaning into this woman's heart. And he says this to her, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus said to you, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. I can imagine this woman being perplexed. Why is he speaking about this other water when there's water to drink here? But again, Jesus was after the condition of her soul. He was trying to get somewhere. And then let's see how the story unfolds. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back to draw the water. Jesus, if you've got water like this, please give it to me because I'm tired of walking out to Jacob's well to drink some water on a hot day. And then Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And here we see that Jesus uses the opportunity of interaction and the physical thirst of water to address the sexual brokenness in this woman's life in a deeply understanding, caring, and compassionate way. Because you know how the story unfolds. She has an encounter with Jesus, and her whole life changes. And she runs back to the town, and she says, Come and see the one who stole me everything about my life. You better meet this one, because he gives water that's, that feeds the thirsty soul, and so much so that I am a new creation today. Now, if we go to the book of Proverbs, we find the well again, and a conversation about sexuality. I love how the themes of Scripture work together. Read with me, Proverbs 5, verse 15. This is the father writing to the son, and he says this, My son, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of living water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear and a graceful doe. The first seven chapters in Proverbs is letters written from a father to a son. And he says in all of this, that if you drink from this well of love and passion, make sure that you protect that well. Make sure that you take good care of that. It's interesting that in the first seven chapters of Proverbs, there's only a few themes the one is always, and fully throughout the book, wisdom. But then the fear of the Lord is so clear. And then this theme of adultery and sexual brokenness is so evident and clear in the first seven chapters. It's almost as if that is coming against the fear of the Lord, right? I believe that those who found themselves there are those who said, No, God, I don't fear you anymore. I'm going to just do what I want to. And this, fa this father writes to the son, he says, There's a well to drink from, but protect it. Don't share it with anyone else and rejoice in the well of life that God has given you. And then he continues right after that, say, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of a Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for a lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. He says, my son, there is another path. You can protect the wellspring of life, of that which is good and that which God declared good. Or you can find yourself ensnared and trapped in the chains of sexual brokenness. And in my wisdom, I'm going to point you in the right direction. Now, you might sit here this morning saying... That's great. I can't relate to the woman at the well. I haven't had four husbands, and the one I'm with is not my husband. I can't relate to the man who's had to run or had to choose running against the adulterous woman because, you know what, that hasn't come my way. But I believe that sexual brokenness knocks at the heart of every door, and I'll show you why in a moment, because Jesus warns of this himself. 
He takes the commandment given in the Old Testament where he says, you shall not commit adultery, and he puts a whole new level of responsibility on that. Let's read together. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Anyone who looks at a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart, her heart, with this person. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's pretty strong. That's Jesus whom we're following speaking here. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And I look at that, I think about simply going to Woolworths to pick up a gift for someone, and I'm bombarded with images of women clothed with only a few clothes. When I go into social media to do something for church and I'm bombarded by something that pops up that is vile and full of sexual nuance, when you listen to the news and how sexuality is driving men to do things against women in this country that God detests and that is wrong, when you go to the movies and you've got to get out of that movie because they show stuff there that we've never been intended to see, then I realize sexual brokenness truly knocks at every heart. And for days and days and months and months and years and years, we find ourselves so many times having to stand amidst this bombardment against our souls. How women have to tweak their bodies today to look a certain way and pay millions of dollars to get the right surgery so that they appease the world out there. And I think God's heart is breaking. And I haven't even touched on the distortions of sexuality yet. Sexual brokenness is not when you do the worst thing, as we would like to call it. It's in that thought life. It's in that thing that you look at too long. It's at this bombardment and us having to make a stand and say, this is against the wisdom of God. It's heartbreaking because our whole world is filled with it. But there's good news this morning. There's a way out, and I'm looking forward to show that to you. I want to go to Proverbs chapter 2. How do we find the way out? How do we find God's heart? How do we understand how he sees things? Proverbs 2 says this, My son, if you receive my words, receive his word. If you treasure up my commandments, treasure up commandments. If your ear is attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. God, how do we live in this life today, in this world where we are bombarded? Well, there we go. We search it with all of our hearts. And we incline our minds and our hearts and our thoughts towards that. And then that's the posture that we've got to take. And when we talk about sexual defined ways of God, that's the posture we're going to have. God, show us your ways. The posture of our heart is we want to know what your word says. And then there's a promise in this proverb because it goes on. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness and walk in the way of darkness. If we have the posture of wanting to know God's word, he promises he will give it to us. And then the last thing is, in the same proverb, the next verse says there's a protection, and specifically from sexual error. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with the smooth words who forsake the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her pass to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the pass of life. So if that is the way to live, then let's go to the Bible. And in a very few minutes, a few brief minutes, I'm going to take us through the story of the Bible. We're going to start on the first page. We're going to go to the last one. And we are going to say, God, we cry out to you this morning. We incline our hearts to your understanding of how you see sexuality. So I want to talk about design. 
I want to talk about deception. I want to talk about distortion. And then I want to speak about deliverance. So let's start with design. Right at the beginning, God defined the design that he has for mankind. And in that definition is our sexual definition as well. Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So he created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Very clear, very defined This is what God has made. I've made mankind, and this is male, and this is woman. Female. It's there, right at the beginning. And in a moment, we're going to see it's good. And if God has declared that good, and he had any other intentions for that to be changed, I believe because he's a good and loving God, he might have wanted to give it to us there at the beginning. If these roles had to change, wouldn't a good and loving God give us the the, the options we had at the beginning, right? But he clearly says, this is how I define it. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply. That basically means have sex. <laughs> I'm so glad someone is getting the message this morning. He says, do it. I've given this as a gift to you. I've made you for it within my my, my, my design, and this is part of a God-given gift. This is life. This is from him. He's given it to us, and he says, have sex. That's what I've made you for. It's part of what I've put in you. And then it says in Genesis 1.31, in, in case you're feeling a little bit awkward with my statement there just now, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, which means it was in its right order, which means it was without lack. Which means then at that point of time, God says, you know what? Two thumbs up. I absolutely think this is a great design. Genesis 2 verse 22 to 23 says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, I'm sure he didn't just say that, but this is what the Bible says he said. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came out of man. There's absolutely no doubt that the word of God is clear about this matter. This is what God has intended from the very beginning. If he intended anything else and if he is a good and loving God, I'm sure he would have said, you know what, comma, and some other options but he didn't. And if we say that we follow Jesus, this is what we align to because it is so clear. And then he describes what a sexual relationship should look like. The last verse of chapter two, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Unlike the discovery channel uh, series, and some of you are chuckling, know what I'm talking about. Those who's not chuckling, don't go find out what I'm talking about. <laughs> a man shall leave his father and mother and become one flesh with a woman. All singular. One man, one woman, one flesh. And God looked at all of that and he said, This is glorious. And he said, You know what? Let that soundtrack. Well, it's my soundtrack playing. Donnie, I need help. Sorry, guys. This is supposed. There we go. It was good. It was pleasant. It was great. Feel the fuzzy, warm feelings, the music playing. Because in the garden, God was dwelling with man. And it was precious and it was amazing. And he was celebrating with them that he's made this union for man and woman to be together as one. Where there's no outside forces, no outside parties, it's just the two of them, one flesh. And this is the image that I want to bring before you again today that I say, let's celebrate this, church. 
Because this is what God has for us. It is good. It's defined. Let's cue the music and let the soundtrack of Godly defined sexual identity play in our lives. If you're not married yet, pray for your spouse. And you know what? Some are called to be single. And that's a beautiful gift from the Lord as well. One isn't greater than the other. So the soundtrack is playing. It sadly didn't stop at design where the beautiful music is playing. Things are all lovely out in the garden. The enemy stepped onto the scene. And you know what I find fascinating? The moment that God defines sexual relationships between man and woman, the last verse of Genesis chapter 2, the very first verse of Genesis chapter 3 starts with, and the serpent came. He didn't come when God made the animals and said, yeah, I'm going to say to the birds, you be bees and bees, you be birds. He came when God defined man's sexual identity. Now I'm going to strike. Now I'm going to come and challenge God. And do you know how it goes? He said to the woman, did God actually say? That's the message of the world today. And all of a sudden, this beautiful soundtrack, there's something that's challenging it. And man and woman both eat from this fruit because he says to them this, you will be like God. You will be able to determine what you think is good and what you think is evil. Up until this point, they haven't known anything evil. They've only known good. But deception has come in and it's caused friction, as you can hear. And that's the story of the world today is be your own God. Find your own truth and live up to that. And whatever that truth is, who in the world is allowed to challenge that? Because the deceiver has come and he's changed the soundtrack of what God has beautifully said at the beginning. And since that has happened, we go a few chapters down the line to Genesis chapter 6. And it says this, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives as many as they chose. The one man, one woman, one flesh, all of a sudden got distorted because of the deception that's coming, and another soundtrack has been added into the mix. And now we're sitting here, and this isn't sounding quite pretty, right? But isn't that what the world sounds like? And we feel uncomfortable, and how do we deal with this? Because we know in our souls that this is what God has made us for. But as the world goes, a few chapters down the line, all these new sounds and ideas are being added. Genesis 6 verse 5, God responds to this. The Lord saw that the weakness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he's grieved his heart. And God said, it's time for a reset. And he sent the flood. Because man, because of the deception, started distorting the world that he found himself in. And the flood came, and the flood receded. One family was saved. And a few chapters later, we see how deception comes in again, and distortion comes in, and Noah's own son doesn't cover his dad's nakedness when his dad was found lying on the ground naked after drinking too much of his wine. Two of the sons did, but the one wanted to distort the scene by not covering but uncovering his, his, his dad's nakedness and then the story continues Abram and Sarah in Egypt Abram lied about Sarah being his wife because the Egyptian leaders would have taken her as their own wives which implies that they would have sex with her because she was beautiful the Bible says and he lies because of the distortion and the chaos that has entered 
And then the story goes on. Abraham and Sarah gets a promise from God. And they know that this promise will take place, but it doesn't and it takes long. And they make a distorted plan. And they say, you know what? Why don't you, Abraham, take your slave woman, Hagar, and go into her and produce an offspring for us. And then the story goes on into Sodom and Gomorrah. Where the Lord said, when he saw this place, it was so distorted that his heart was broken again. And he spoke to Abram about it. And then we see in Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the reasons why God wanted to take this city out. It says, before God sent a messenger there. And then it says, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And another soundtrack is introduced. And since then, all the world is doing is raising the volume on these other sounds. And we can't hear the beauty of God's design anymore. Now what we want to do is we want to raise that soundtrack and it becomes a louder noise. And it becomes uncomfortable. But what we need is a reset. We need to get back to this. And I can spend so much time on talking about the distortion. I can spend so much time on talking about the stuff in the world out there. But I wanted to show you a few biblical examples of how quickly it's happened to man because of the deception, how we've become distorted. And since then, it is the story of man all the way through until the end. And here we are today in that same story. In the middle of the story, God starts adding new laws because he loves his people. And if they would abide to these added laws, they, would, they might find their identity in him again and the plans he had for them. And someone asked once, why does, why does God give so many laws, over 600 laws in, in, the, in, in the law in the Old Testament? And it's very clear because man was so deceived and so crafty that he always found a way around the law. It's a little bit like saying, I'm not allowed to kill Matt, which I'm not. But if I, if I pay Shane to do it, have I technically killed him? So let's add a law. You're not allowed to pay someone to kill Matt. <laughs> Okay, cool. Maybe if I wreck an environment and fate plays my way. No, you're not allowed to wreck an environment and fate plays your way and kill Matt. You see how so many laws came about? And you know what the world loves? It loves saying, oh, the church is so judgmental. But what they miss is that through all the law in the story of God's people, it was God trying to bring them back to the soundtrack which he had playing from the beginning. That was his heart. You know that this position of God never changes. This is his heart still today. And I stand here with humility in my heart knowing that Christians and the church have messed it up by trying to play God over people's lives, by shouting against the other sounds where all we should have been doing is pointing to the most beautiful sound. But there's a reset available, and his name is Jesus. So I want to tell another story about Jesus. John chapter 8 tells the story of a group of men, religious men, who caught a woman in adultery. And they brought her to Jesus. And because of their own distortion in their own hearts and their own deception, they wanted to test Jesus and see what he is going to say about someone that is so sexually broken like this woman. In fact, they wanted to go back to the law and say, you know what, we should stone her to death. She should be killed because of this. But you know who stepped into the scene is Jesus. And this woman was about to be delivered. Which is the heart of God for all of us on this topic is to be delivered. And he steps onto the scene and 
It's a fascinating one because he bends down and he writes with his finger in the sand and the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. I thought about it this week. Maybe he wrote all the sexual sins down of those men that pulled the women out to the front. Because even just a lustful thought about another person. On Jesus' standard, you're an adulterer. And then he said this, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Oh, the church of God is not called to throw stones. And if we have, we should repent. Because we've got a tune to listen to that doesn't need offending. Our God stands tall over His truth. You who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone. And none of those men could throw a stone because they realized, me too, I'm broken. Eventually they left her with only Jesus on the scene. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. If you felt condemned because you might have missed God's design, the deliverer is here this morning saying that I want to set you back on track for your life to dance and to enjoy and live in the soundtrack of that which I made right in the beginning, which I have declared good and right and healthy and normal. And then he says, go, and from now on, sin no more. You know what I love about this passage? Jesus first dealt with those who put themselves in the seat of judgment before he dealt with the woman in her own brokenness. Because it's so quickly to find ourselves there. Can we stop usurping his throne of judgment? The judgment seat belongs to him. And the Bible clearly says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why do we sing any other song if people find themselves tripping up on this journey of this broken life because the soundtrack of distortion has just become too loud? But then he didn't leave the woman there. He didn't say, you know what, all of this is okay. He said, now go. Don't listen to that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Just don't. He called it sin because it is what it was. But he didn't feel the need to elaborate on how bad the sin is as we sometimes do. Which brings me to the last page in the Bible. Speaking about the marriage of the Lamb that we sang about the book of Revelation and it says this behold I'm coming back soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last the beginning and the end blessed are those who wash their robes how do we wash our robes we come to the cross where crimson stain is no more and then he says this so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And here on the last page of the Bible, God speaks about sexual brokenness. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They will be on the outside at the end. Those who say, no God, I'm my own God. I've got my own truth. I'm going to do things my way. But even then, there's still an invitation. Because the next verse says, The Spirit and the Bride says, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. 
And let the one who is thirsty, like the woman at the well, come and drink of the water of life without price. Oh, how we have tried to fight our way back to God in this world that is so confusing. And he just says, I am the living water. Just come. Just come. Like that woman that was dragged to my feet to be stoned. Just come. Like the woman at the well who came there for a drink, but her soul was thirsty. Who responded to my invitation. Come. And that, I believe, is the only answer to the brokenness that we see in our world today. Is to come to Him. Say, God, redefine in me that which you have thought to be good at the, the beginning when you have created all of us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me. Start ministering. I'm grateful that God's word is clear. I'm grateful that it is so beautiful to discover what he has for us. And to be able to live there. But I'm deeply grateful this morning that God knew that each one of us will trip up and find ourselves in pain. Whether it's just through our eyes or our thoughts. That each one of us will find ourselves battling this battle, this war. So this morning, my invitation to you is come. Come to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is faithful. He speaks. I don't have to come and call out the sins. I don't have to say pornography and, and sexual thoughts. and I don't have to do that. Or false sexual identities. I don't have to do that. I stand on the confidence that Jesus said, the Spirit comes and He convicts of sin, of that which is right, and of the coming judgment. That's His job. That's not ours. But what I do know, and what I do want to say, is come to the cross. Because Jesus has paid it all. Oh, praise the one that paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. That's the declaration. He has paid the debt, and the Bible says in Colossians that he has nailed our records of wrongs onto the tree. So I want to say to you this morning, irregardless of where you find yourself, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what your life has battled with, doesn't matter if you have felt convicted this morning for taking the judgment seat and calling out judgment on people. doesn't matter what it is. He says, I can take that there today and I can nail it to the cross once again if you would come and I want to see you washed as white as snow. So let's stand this morning and respond with gratitude because of what He has done. Let this be a moment for you to say, God, I align again to your design, to what you have. Lord, I pray for your church this morning, Lord, that the soundtrack of the world of distortion and deception, Lord, would become less in our lives, Lord, as we hear and tune in more to your truth. Jesus, and come and give us the power this morning to turn our back, Lord, like this woman did on our sinful ways and to go from here forward and sin no more, Lord, because you have given us the empowering of your spirit to walk with us, to sanctify us, to walk with us in step so that we can find ourselves coming to the cross, not just once, but every day, Father, to be set straight with you. So I pray, Lord, wherever someone might find themselves today, Jesus, meet them at the cross. Meet them at the cross. Let's sing this song as a response of faith this morning to what He has done. Thank you, Jesus. I the Savior say The strength indeed is small Child of weakness 
the direction and that's what it means to quench the spirit when he speaks to you to say I hear that but no thank you I'm going to carry on some of you might need to repent towards someone maybe a spouse some of you need to find some men if you're a guy or some women 
through women who walk with you and go into them and say, you know what? I feel like that person in Proverbs that's just ensnared. Please help untie me. The Bible says that God is faithful to forgive us our sins if we confess them. And then it says, if you confess your sins to one another, He yields. Healing comes in that repentance confession that we make. So the cross and what Jesus has done is received in the repentance and taking that step. So whatever that means for you today, don't leave here just saying great message. I like the illustration. It's a little bit awkward. We sang Jesus paid it all. Say, Spirit of God, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And if He shows it to you, confess it, repent and walk the other way. And He is faithful to walk with us. And then I'm so aware this morning that you might say, and I haven't accepted that price that Jesus paid on the cross at all. My life has been a different soundtrack altogether. I have not been tuning in to the Lord so I want to give you an opportunity to pray this morning. And how are we going to do it? We're all going to pray a prayer of repentance. And I believe it's applicable to all our hearts. But if you are praying this for the first time, I would love to meet you after the service. We'll be up front. We'd love to pray with you. But let's all close by praying this prayer this morning. Let's close our eyes and say, Jesus, Jesus. thank you thank that you, you have paid my debt. I do know that I fall short, that I'm a sinner, that I have made mistakes, that I've missed your design. But thank you that that's not the end of my story. I accept you today, Jesus. And I start a new road with you today. Thank you, Lord, that as I accept you, my life is made new. He who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I thank you, Lord, for this promise today. In Jesus' name. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. How amazing was that? Can I send you into your week with uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23? It says, may God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole bodies, your souls, and your spirits be kept blameless to the coming of Christ. Amen and amen. Have a lovely week. See you next Sunday.